so like for the past year, I have been slowly, incrementally cutting down on my antidepressants, being Zoloft and Wellbutrin. And in the past couple of weeks, I just got off the, the, the remaining bits entirely. So I'm totally antidepressant free now, but I'm experiencing like really strong withdrawal symptoms, including intense vertigo. For the past three days, I've had it pretty consistently where if I move, if I move too quickly, there's like a, 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 a reaction, like move and then <laughs> it's trippy. <laughs> I'm also experiencing the classic brain zap, which are like, uh, I heard that they're, they're like little seizures, they're like miniature seizures. So basically mm. I'm having seizures and, and uh, vertigo and heart palpitations and I feel like I'm going crazy. <laughs> um, I also want to mention, to mitigate the, the, the ending of the SSRIs, I started microdosing. So every four days, I've been um, taking a tiny, tiny little dose of LSD. Uh-huh. And sometimes it really helps because it sort of provides the serotonin that I'm sort of starving for. And other times it's either too much or doesn't feel like anything. That's the problem with microdosing. You can't really get the dosage right. Right. It's always really difficult to, to just get the right amount. So when it's good, is it like, is it just like a normal day or is it? It's just like a feeling of well-being, which is sort of how I felt when I first was on the, on the, the meds where you just like, you have you, like, whatever happens, it's cool. You feel you have like underneath whatever happens in your life, just a general warm feeling of well-being. Like everything's all right. Things are nice. You can sort of enjoy anything that comes up. This cat never comes up here and now, now she's here and she's making noise. Which one is it? Is it a monkey or Ruby? Well, Ruby died. Ruby died last year. Sorry. Yeah, Ruby. That's okay. Um, yeah, she died like no, just before COVID hit in a big way. Uh, this is monkey. So monkey's the survivor. And she's, uh, but she's been getting really ornery lately. She like wakes us up in the mornings and makes a lot of noise. But I don't know what's up with that. Now she's going away. So that's fine. Now we're, we're free and clear again. <laughs> I was going to ask about the, the microdosing follow-up. So like, okay, so you've got this undercurrent of well-being, but is it really self-conscious? Like, is it like, I'm feeling really good right now? Like, oh, wow, I'm really feeling good. Because sometimes when you're, when you're feeling good, you actually don't feel anything. It's kind of like you just, everything is fine, you know? Like, it's, uh, you're yeah. just kind of like doing things, and doing stuff without being overly self-conscious, without I, necessarily knowing that, it's, that, it's, that you're feeling bad or whatever. Well, I think there is like that happens on a spectrum like there is some sweet spot where it feels good but you're not going to be annoying about it but i know that sometimes it's like it'll be too much yeah and i'll feel great but i'll be telling everybody how great i feel and i hear myself <laughs> being really annoying and like i guess you would call it manic yeah yeah i mean that's how I, you know that's how i sometimes you know when you're around people who are on drugs and you're the only one who's not on drugs that's always kind of interest an interesting situation because it's like there was a time this is back in college but i came into this place and everybody's just like doing cocaine around a table and i'm the only one who hasn't <laughs> had any cocaine at this point and everybody's just like wow we're having great conversations this is so much fun this is so great like we're just having the greatest conversations and that's the entire conversation it was just how great of a conversation they were having it was like this very circular mirror talk you know um, they were just kind of like bouncing that back and forth and, and just being completely fascinated by it. There is a, you know, there is a kind of, um, there's a kind of circularity that happens with it. Like once you become aware of like your good feelings, you sometimes just keep mirroring it and keep kind of reflecting it back at yourself instead of like, I'm feeling good. I'm going to, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff. It's more like, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Yeah. Sometimes if you're like really miserable and then you suddenly feel great, you kind of do just want to sit there and marinate. Asking it. <laughs> to me, it's always like the, the best trip, so to speak, is like when, I'm, when I get productive, you know, where it's like, oh, I have just enough to feel good and just enough to do stuff, like with enthusiasm and without any kind of, kind of self-reflective negativity that, that sometimes comes with it when you're like, oh, this drawing sucks or whatever, you know, and, and yeah. you just kind of like go into this fugue and, and kind of work. And that can, you know, sometimes that happens with coffee, sometimes it can happen with other drugs, but 
that's that's always the best and and the ones where, where you're just kind of sitting there giggling it's really fun but it's always i always feel like well that was a kind of a waste of a day <laughs> maybe i'm too like i'm too uh protestant work ethic at this point but ideally it seems like the brain should be providing us with just the right levels of serotonin and dopamine and adrenaline and it's so dependent on so many things like environment toxins in the air environment you know everything like uh you know food you know the relationships we have in the moment how how much doom scrolling we do on twitter (laughs) you know all these things affect that in some ways and it's never and it's never the right amount you know like i mean there's i guess there's moments but it's always like some kind of a balancing act that doesn't quite balance yes maybe it's the imbalance that keeps us going and then uh i have this comic book here called cartoon dialectics um what is a dialectic I mean, a dialectic is just, you know, in, in, in a way, it's like a conversation. I guess the uh, the grandfather of dialectics would, would be, you know, like Socrates, you know, just kind of the dialogue that kind of arrives at something. Okay, so my question, asking you what a dialectic is, is that in itself, you and you answering it, is that in itself a dialectic? I mean, it could be. I mean, I, th- I think it's, you know, part of it is, is also like trying to, you know, trying to pose uh, a question and now I'm going to try to get professorial. Um, <laughs> well, so it could be something like, something like the proper term for dialectic. I mean, it is, it is from dialogue in, in a sense, right? That's kind of the or- origin of the, of the, of the, of the term. But, you know, so like the classic dialectic is, is like the thesis, the antithesis, and then the synthesis, right? So you, so there's like, there's some kind of dialectical movement through, you know, one idea the counter idea, and then you arrive at some kind of synthesis of that idea, you know? So that's kind of the dialectic. And that's, um, if you kind of like think about dialectics as a kind of um, uh, engine of, of idea making or engine of the world, you know, certain things come into being, their opposites come into being, and they dialect <laughs> and then uh and then something something comes out of that and then and then that new synthesis is also a new thesis in a way and then and it just kind of continues you know um so you know wh- whereas you know conversation maybe is more um i mean a conversation can be dialectical in the sense that if you if we have a disagreement we can talk about it and we can maybe arrive at some new understanding of of that disagreement you know the answer is no my question for you was not a dialectic (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can have a conversation that's non-dialectical for sure okay i I should probably specify that this comic book is the cartoon dialectics number two by tom kaczynski which is you that's me that's right is it tom kaczynski should i know this by now (laughs) I probably should, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> that's actually really close. I mean, you're, you know, one of the few people that says it very, very closely. Kaczynski, like the N is not, not as soft as the way you say it, but that's okay. I mean, it's, you know, it's Polish. It's weird. It's a weird language. Kaczynski, and then I said Kaczynski. Is that no, that's right. That's, that's Kaczynski. Yeah, Kaczynski is like a little bit, yeah. Uh, so do you want to discuss this comic book, which I have read Two times now. Yeah, we can talk about it. <laughs> a third time. And twice I have read this essay, Your Mind is a Vast Landscape by Aldebert Arcane. Who is this guy, Aldebert Arcane? He is Ad- Adalbert, Adalbert Arcane. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. It's just somebody like submitted this essay and I published it. You know, I, it seemed really interesting. I liked his name. I mean, the essay is, you know, it's just sort of like I'm fumbling around with, with comics and philosophy a little bit and trying to arrive, you know, there's like, I have this kind of intuition that comics are kind of a, the perfect medium for, for philosophy. And, I, you know, it could be a wrong intuition, but I, right now, for right now, I'm just assuming that it's the right intuition. And I, you know, I'm trying to kind of elucidate that and I'm trying to find other other ideas that support that so you know so some of it is through comics some of it is through writing some of it is through talking some of it is some you know some other ways but but i'm kind of trying to arrive at some 
it's some idea of what comics can do for, for, for philosophy. And, and I'm trying to reverse the equation a little bit. Like, you know, comics, generally speaking, have this um, second class status in literature and, and just in general, you know. So I, I kind of want to put comics on top. It's like, instead of asking, which I have for a long time, asking like, what, what can I do with philosophy in comics? Um, I'm kind of like, well, it's actually the other way around. Like, what can comics do for philosophy? Like, what can comics can do for philosophy that's, that's actually, that, that philosophy can't do on its own? Uh, you know, the visual component obviously is the, the sort of the main thing that, that philosophy doesn't have. I mean, I, sometimes philosophers use the visual medium. I think the most, maybe the most, uh, the best example of that is people like um, Marshall McLuhan would do kind of visual kind of essays, t- television essays and things like that. Um, or, uh, and, and some of his books would include a lot of images when he was talking about sort of uh, various kind of mediums. But uh, but I think comics bring something to the table that sort of that visual component, which I think is is a kind of almost like a perfect counterbalance to the to text. And I think about it kind of alchemically. You know, um, alchemy has this idea of like solve et et coagula, which is you know something that a, a solvent and and a coagulant. And I think of language and and writing as as a kind of solvent, and I think of the image as a kind of coagulant. So then the two can kind of like keep dissolving and and combining into some kind of alchemical philosopher's stone. Uh, the the perfect the perfect medium for philosophy. <laughs> I have that sort of sense myself about comics, and not just making philosophy more accessible, but yeah. going more directly and more fully into the part of the brain that you wanted to. <laughs> I guess like in the sense of alchemy, you could say it creates something bigger than the sum of its parts. But I think that the problem is that comics take so long to do and are so, like you said, like the sort of gutter kind of like second 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 class citizen of the arts yeah we're like third class or underclass so it's hard to get a lot of momentum going because you're like you get halfway through a comic and you're like why am i even doing this and, and then you got the deadline and like you're not even getting getting paid much and you have <laughs> responsibilities and so like you're like fuck it i just i'll just put the end right there <laughs> and so comics have yet to fulfill their uh, potential and their potential is much greater than we can perceive right now i agree with that i think you know in, in a way comics are you know kind of a continuation of of, a, of an older tradition you know um i think you know uh, when we you know when we look at philosophy and we look at like literature at some point both of those things were drained of images, you know, like they were kind of in the modern era where kind of images were kind of seen as, again, kind of like a tool for the weak-minded <laughs> uh, as, as a kind of, uh, you know, illustrated book is a book for children um, versus, versus like a book with only words is a book for adults. And, um, but, you know, there was a time in the past where, where, you know, visual exploration of things were just as important as, as the textual uh, kind of exploration of things. I mean, if you just, you know, if you're going back to like the Renaissance, just looking at someone like Leonardo da Vinci, you know, who kind of was, you know, the classic Renaissance man, uh, you know, drawing and, you know, kind of diagramming and uh, was just as important as, you know, sort of, you know, mathematical formula or philosophical um, formulations. So, uh, you know, the drawing was part of the thinking process, you know, the drawing like was, uh, it helped you arrive at, at whatever it is that you're trying to arrive at. And I think in alchemy, this was also something that you saw a lot is, you know, kind of diagrams of, of, you know, how the world, how the world's worked, um, you know, visualizing hierarchies, um, uh, you know, showing you how, um, how a certain esoteric knowledge c- comes together visually, you know. I don't agree at all. Really, it's very esoteric. I mean, it's very esoteric. Yeah, I, and I, you know, I'm I'm not really apologetic about it right now. Like I, 
again, like I'm, I'm less interested now with like comics for the masses, so to speak. It's more, it's more about like what can comics, how can comics kind of return to that esoteric tradition in, in a way, you know? Uh, and how, how can we kind of use that visual, visual slash uh, narrative storytelling to kind of to, to talk about those things? Uh, well, in, really in, in, in this essay by this dude, L. Adelbert Arcane. Mr. <laughs> Arcane. And this is what you've just been saying. You guys have very similar minds here. It's, a, it's unusual. Uh, okay, so for example, well, he talks about uh, the art and the, the writing, the word and the picture. Art is prone to graphomania akin to graffiti, hoarding, conceptual games. Can be likened to a hall of mirrors. Okay, where am I getting? I, I gotta find the good stuff. That reflects projections of the viewer and creates narcissistic feedback loops. These infinite reflections produce paradoxical mind-body effects on the viewer and artist. These art-slash-body effects can be scatologically mapped to various dispositions, constipated sculpture, diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, constipated is related to sculpture, diarrhea related to abstract expressionism, indigestion and gas is postmodern art, etc. In that sense, art is geological, alchemical coagula, as you were saying. Art is one of the only human objects recovered archaeologically. (laughs) It is material strata, like that guano. But most importantly, art is too removed from the original spatio-temporal context. Indeed, that is the way art works. Relying on written language only, prose, poetry, philosophy, has problems related to the nature of writing. If art is matter, writing, or more precisely language, is closer to a secretion or a discharge. Biologically, it is related to venoms and acids, alchemical solve. Solve or solve? Solvent, solve, it's the same thing, basically. It can never create matter or concepts. It can only dissolve, soften, and liquefy. This softened matter and concepts must be shaped or placed, but writing language cannot do it alone. For example, structures built with words like Atlantis or Utopia exist only as spectral acid concepts that have haunted man for millennia. These concepts can only be materialized by art-like endeavors like digging, building, etc. In other words, by disturbing the geological strata, which I don't understand. But I do understand (laughs) that art is this elusive thing and writing is this elusive thing. And they're not quite complete without each other. And I find that an image with some words can be like so much more powerful, but there is a very delicate process of pairing the images with the words so that you can create that alchemical reaction in which it causes something bigger. Like, cause you can have too many words and then it just hammers it in and like tires you out or too little words. And then you get confused. Like something about the process of putting the words and the images together is like, you have to be a good cook. <laughs> like the kind of cook where you, you know the recipe but you still have to have like this touch you know like this intuitive touch yeah i i yeah i agree with that there's i mean you know there's that there's always that sort of elusive ingredient that you know that sort of makes art or makes writing or makes anything really like it's um you can jam you know multiple things together but there's that there's that you know some kind of elusive ingredient that that kind of gels it together in a in a in a compelling way I don't know if that, what that is. You know, is that soul? Is that um, is that talent? Is that something else? No, you know, no idea. Um, I don't know, but okay. I find it very difficult to read bad comics. I just <laughs> it hurts my brain, and it conversely, it's such a pleasure to read a good comic. Like it just takes you somewhere that you just can't get that feeling anywhere else. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, I, the same. I mean, the same is true of books, right? Reading a bad book versus reading a good book, and and what makes it good and bad is, I don't know if it's always fully subjective. I mean, there is, you know, we definitely have some subjective tendencies, but there is, you know, there are certain sort of things that kind of stand the test of time, and maybe time is really just the 
the maker of the good, <laughs> something that kind of sticks around for a long time. That you know doesn't mean that something contemporary can't be good, but who knows what, if it's ever going to be great? You know, I think a lot of contemporary things are good, and a lot of people love them, but then they get forgotten. In a way, the questions that we've always been asking about comics is like, how can comics be like something else? But it's like actually, why can't comics be better than that? This other thing, you know what I mean? Um, and what what it is it what is it about comics that that makes it more compelling and more interesting and, and a better way of telling a story? I, and and you know maybe I'm being a little bit too like like better you know some some mediums are better than others. But I'm 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 being a little bit of a comic chauvinist right now. Like I have to just say like comics are the best, and uh, um, and that's okay. You know like. There's plenty of people who tell me that literature is the best and that that uh, something else is the best. So I'm gonna be the guy that says. <laughs> I don't have any musical aptitude at all, but there's something so alive about music and so present about music that makes all other art forms seem dead and useless. Why is that? Why? What? What do you think is it about music that that makes it feel so alive? I mean, I'm not going to quit comics and become a musician, but if I could, I probably would, actually, <laughs> if I could start all over again. Um, like, sometimes I hear a, this, just some amazing song, it'll, like, it'll transport me, and I'll be like, I wish I could convey that feeling in a comic, but I know that I, I never, ever can, no matter how beautiful and ethereal I could make it it'll never give somebody the feeling like the visceral feeling that music will give. Maybe I, I, I mean, like, I mean, as far as just, I just say that because you said that comics are the best and I think I would respectfully disagree and say that <laughs> comics have the potential towards something far greater than they are. But um, yeah, but that's the, that's the best part. That's the potential. <laughs> <laughs> no, potentially. Nothing, nothing's ever fully realized. You know what I mean? I, I feel like there's definitely, you know, there's, there's amazing literature out there, but I think, you know, maybe there is a way to do it even better. You know, uh, same, same goes for, you know, just about every, everything. I'm satisfied with the literature in the world and I'm satisfied uh, with the music in the world. And I'm not satisfied with what comics are. I look at comics and I think there could be so much more here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I, you know, part of it is just we don't have the kind of visual literacy, literacy that we do with other things. Also, comics as a medium just haven't been, even though sort of the, the visual component has been around for, you know, for a long time since the beginning of human culture, like the, the sort of the narrative potential between those two have never been, are, you know, it's a very young, it's a very young medium in a, in a, in a weird way. And it's been hobbled at many, at many different, at many different sort of stages. Um, yeah, it gets sort of infantilized even, which is ironic because it's so intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> all the writing and all the drawing is a very extremely intellectual activity, very adult. <laughs> and yet it is very much confined even now to sort of, um, I mean, now it's like, it's not, people don't ask me if I do children's books as much as they used to. <laughs> <laughs> but there is still a sort of condescension. And yeah, I, I mean, you can see it just in the market too. I mean, if, you know, um, uh, sort of the, the ascendance of YA, you know, like uh, as a as a kind of, um, you know, which is, again, not to say that there can't be a good YA comic, but not every comic needs to be YA, you know. The, I guess the, the YA that I mostly sort of resist is the kind of, um, it's almost kind of like, like, a, like a little moral tale for the day, you know, like it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just very didactic. It feels very didactic. It kind of tells you how to be and how to, uh, how to be a teenager and how to like, how to, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, and, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, as a teenager, maybe that's what you want. Uh, you know, I never, like when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I always wanted the, the quote adult books, right? Um, that's what I always wanted to read. I, I re rarely wanted to read YA. I guess for me, YA was, you know, some comics in a, in a way were my YA, but like the comics of, of the 70s and 80s, you know, superhero comics, fantasy comics, um, communist comics. <laughs> 
there was always something mysterious about comics to me. Like there was always something that I didn't quite, I could never quite put my finger on it. You know, like in, in, in high school, I would read all these comics um, and then I would write all these essays for, for my English classes about them, you know? And I would always need to convince my teacher that these were like literature and that they were important and, 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 and what, what they were, what they were talking about was, you know, just as important as, you know, Holden Caulfield. <laughs> so I, I always had this like intuition that there was something there, something bigger there, you know, even like in the dumbest things. Um, but there was always something, something hiding behind the surface. And I, I don't know if this is, this is maybe something that I have as a, as a kind of a, as a reader too. Like I always, when there's something that's too difficult to read, I'm always like, I always think that I'm too dumb to read it, you know, <laughs> that I need to discover something that I need to lift that veil. You feel that curiosity, like, that's like... Yeah. Well, there's definitely people, you know, and I kind of envy them sometimes. It's like, sometimes it's, it's people who are just like, oh, no, that's not, that's not deep. That's just stupid. Like, or like, that's just, you know, uh, it's using language to like obscure shallowness, you know, or something like that. So I'm always, so there's always like, there's always, um, there's always kind of a push and a pull there. Like, am I looking too deeply and I'm actually not seeing anything or am I... Or am I, uh, you know, or am I trying to find something that's not actually there, you know? Well, it seems um, like you're trying to find some kind of evidence or articulation to these deep hunches that you feel looking at. Yeah, I definitely, I, I you know, I'm, I always try to develop my gut. <laughs> it's a gut feeling. You know, Nietzsche always says, like, trust your gut. <laughs> really? Um, you know, the brain is always kind of confuses things. And the gut is the one that sort of knows a little bit more sometimes than the brain does and um that's how i, I try to cultivate the gut a little bit more uh, in, in a weird way like i, I feel like philosophy following that philosophical hunch is also like a gut feeling you know that that pushes me there and then i you know and then obviously you have to use your brain to kind of to push it um and think about it but the gut kind of like leads the gut leads yeah i would agree that the Brain has a tendency to try to lead, whereas perhaps it needs to follow. I feel like I am wildly imbalanced from stopping the meds, but well, I feel those can be kind of addictive, right? Like it's uh, it's something that you get kind of uh, you 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 depend on on whatever the whatever it is that they're providing you for for a while. So it can be difficult to kind of kick that. Yeah, there's a withdrawal symptoms. Is there like a link for that? Like. I don't think it should last more than a month, but I feel like I've, I feel like I've, I feel like a horse that has escaped from its stable. <laughs> like, I feel full of like excitement and energy and like, I'm free, <laughs> but I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Where did the horse go <laughs> once it's escaped? I know. I wonder, like, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, not to make it too, to sound too grim, but uh, you know, there's that. There are those stories of like horses that are in captivity that um that just return to the to the stable. They're like run free. They're like they want to do it, and then all of a sudden, it's like, where do I go? Oh, I guess I should just go back. I don't think I'm that kind of horse. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about the vertigo. That sound that sucks. Um, I mean, it's kind of novel. It's such a boring time. This is like the worst time in history is just like the lockdown and winter and just like this general misery and, and uh, lack of stimulation. So vertigo and brain zaps and <laughs> occasional heart palpitations are actually a, a welcome distraction. Body provides m much entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, how is uh how are things in New York these days with um, uh, with the COVID? Do you get out much? Yeah, I go for these long walks. New York is full of these the restaurants and bars. They build these little like bungalows yeah. in the street. So like on really busy places like on Clinton Street, like they take over the whole street. And and once in a while, I'll go to a restaurant with someone and. I mean, honestly, it's it's nicer it's nicer than going inside because like often they're heated, and mm. so you're like sitting in there next to a heater, and it's like freezing cold outside, and it's like cold inside, but also warm in there too. It's kind of like in like being in a in the hot springs in a 
on a freezing day <laughs> and and like i said it's so boring and grim here like just to have a nice meal that's like professionally prepared and brought to you it's like a wonderful vacation i have to admit but, i mean just being in lockdown you really like you you appreciate it more in general. When I was, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in the mountains and we were so far away from civilization and it was so just dull and miserable every day. <laughs> just like <laughs> sitting there in the woods with the family and there was no electricity and no, you know, no television and no phone, nothing. And once in a while we would get to go into town or even into the city and we'd go to the movies or like eat at a restaurant and it was just the most wonderful magical thing like it's just like <laughs> everything about it was so exciting so it feels like that nowadays like life has gotten kind of grim mm. but it does make the pleasures more exciting yeah um it's interesting like in poland you know like we didn't it was you know pop culture and, and like having restaurants like that wasn't really a thing so while we didn't you know we had power <laughs> and we weren't living in the middle of a forest we had that a little bit for a while there were definitely there were brownouts in poland in the communist era like yeah i was actually are- reading about that in your comic book here it was <laughs> you you were saying how you enjoyed you eventually enjoyed the blackouts because like at first you hated it and then it was exciting because you would read comics by candlelight. Yeah, so that was really nice. Like, the, sort of like, the, it was just, you know, again, it just made everything a little bit different, right? Like, all of a sudden, um, the whole neighborhood is dark and, like, you could see the, scar- the stars more, you know, mm-hmm. in the sky. Because, like, there was all of a sudden, there was a lot less light coming from, from the street, um, from, from the city. And then, uh, I don't know, then, like, there's a lot of dumb games that I would invent, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there was, like, reading comics was one thing. But then, you know, and again, this is, this is, um, you know, maybe an indictment on, on socialism in Poland, but, you know, I would, you know, like, um, Gouda cheese would have that like crust, you know, which is basically wax. (laughs) So I would like, I would, I would shape the wax with, with, uh, with the, you know, on the heat of the candle and I would make all kinds of, (laughs) and, you know, I, I just remember like having like, you know, endless, endless fun time. It was probably just a few minutes, you know, but like it just, in my memory, just, it was different. It was something different. And I, and I kind of like every time it happened, I was looking forward to doing something like that, you know? Yeah. I think interesting. I wonder if like our childhoods which are very very different they sort of have this polar opposites that sort of we have this sort of understanding because like for me you always saw the star like every night the stars were like huge and like it was just like quiet at night it's just Mm -hmm. incredibly brilliant and um i mean it's like really the most beautiful place but it was you know for a kid it was relentless. <laughs> so, yeah. like, the novelty was actually going out and, like, seeing some civilization. I mean, for both of us, it wasn't easy, but it was the novelty of the other thing. Like, when, when you didn't have that civilization, that you sort of came alive or, like, became aware, like, your imagination was kindled or something. Yeah, it was like when, when, everything, when everything shut down, that's when it, that's when it hit. I never... Um, I never know like what the uh, kind of impetus for that stuff is. Cause it's like, cause you, you know, you, you could just as well, you could just like, like, Oh, the power's out. It just really sucks. And it's really boring and awful, but then, you know, but it, it just activates something else. And the same thing goes with you. Like it could, you know, like, you know, you could go to this like novel place and it could be just like disappointing. Right. It could be just like, Oh, it's just like, it's just a bunch of hamburgers and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess you yeah, I mean, had kind of deprived childhoods, in, like, by the American Western standards. Yeah, but, I, you know, there was definitely things like, you know, I, I, for me, it was, like, you know, for you, it was these moments maybe of, like, arriving where there's, quote, civilization and things are happening, you know, there was fast food, whatever. For me, you know, it was, the, the deprivation was not like we weren't starving or anything, but there were definitely shortages in stores. Like, you, you know, if you wanted to buy meat, it was rationed, you know, like you had to have a, you can only buy X amount of meat. You went to a store, shelves are empty. 
Um, you know, only a few items were widely available, like vinegar, <laughs> like it was easy to buy vinegar. But then there were stores, you know, and these were definitely stores for sort of the upper, the, the sort of the upper class, the upper crust, and they were called Pevex. And they were, um, they were stores with Western goods, and they were always full. Um, and you can go in there, um, but you couldn't buy anything unless you had dollars. So you, you could, if you had dollar bills, you could buy whatever you wanted there. Um, and I never, you know, I never had any dollars. I think once, like... Uh, like my uncle or somebody gave me like a dollar or a couple of bucks and I went in there and uh, I was able to buy gum. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the store, you know, would have like, you know, had like lots of candy, would have, um, you know, all the kind of classic Western candy bars, like, you know, Mars bars and things like that. Mo mostly Western European, not so much American, although there was a few American things. And uh, yeah, so I, I would go in there and just be like, you know, just kind of like, just window shopping basically you know yeah. just, like, just to see to see the see the potential of the rest of the world you know like <laughs> you know every day was fairly gray and like you know you couldn't you couldn't get uh, those colorful things and i think maybe that's why comics were so kind of important to me because they were these like little portals of yeah. color that yes. you could get and 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 get lost in you know i remember one time we went to san francisco to see our, our grandparents and there was just like so much going on there. And there was like a store that we went into and there was garbage pail kid folders. <laughs> like we've gotten garbage pail kids before from like the, um, you know, like from the gas station. <laughs> but these were folders that you could take to school. This was the most exciting thing. Did you guys have garbage pail kids? Uh, not in Poland, no. Oh man, you really missed out with the garbage pail kids. <laughs> that was—they were something special at the time. There's yeah, certain yeah. things you can't really enjoy at any. At only at a certain age can you enjoy it, and if you do enjoy it at that age, then you enjoy it forever. It's true. We always just try to go back to our childhood all the time. You know. Uh, yeah, nostalgia. We're going down the nostalgic route. Oh, what have we done? <laughs> I know this is a trap. It's always a trap. Uh, you know, I I did this comic. I don't know if you I don't know if you got a chance to see that ever, but I did it like uh, a few years ago, um, and it was about the uh, the nostalgic critical method. You know, these were like kind of my earlier Which attempts. One is, these are okay. Here's the comics I have. I have this one. And then uh -huh. I don't. Do you have like Cartoon Dialectics three? Do you have the? Uh, no, I didn't know you had. It doesn't matter, but it's like, uh, but there was a, you know, I, I, because uh, a lot of my comics from the sort of, the, remember the, my, my little trans minis, like you have some of those there. Yeah. So a lot of those deal with like nostalgia and, uh, and kind yeah. of memories and of Poland yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, but so then I kind of like, you know, I, I just, I always, I always felt like nostalgia was a little bit of a trap always, like, even though I really like to indulge it. It was always like it felt. It felt like some kind of you know some kind of vortex. It kind of sucks you in and 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 doesn't let go. You know, so I was I was always trying to kind of create like is there a way to like engage with this material without like falling into the trap and just kind of like essentially trying to re relive your childhood. You know, without nostalgia. Yeah, like what's what? How can I do that? So then I was you know I was looking at um, uh, I was reading uh, and, um, some stuff about Dali. And, uh, and, you know, he kind of invented this thing called the paranoid critical method, you know, okay. uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever read about that, but, <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> but there was like a very specific kind of diagram that he drew. And this is why I, I like this a lot because it's, again, this is kind of uh, pointing me towards like comics and philosophy and like visual representations of philosophy and, um, uh, and his, you know, the, the definition of the paranoid critical method is, um, like soft unsubstanti unsubstantiated uh, kind of intuitions uh, propped up by by Cartesian uh, Cartesian logic, and it has like this little like gooey mass kind of like flowing down, and there's like this little crutches Cartesian crutches that are holding up this gooey mass, you know, and so it's kind of like it's it's kind of like you know crazy thoughts. Mm -hmm. held up by you know some kind of rationality that that stitches it together you know and um so i was like well is there a way to like think about nostalgia the same way like is there a critical nostalgic method you know and um so i drew this whole comic about this where um you know whenever you find yourself 
feeling nostalgic about a particular item maybe you like stumble on a you know on a garbage pail mm -hmm. uh thing or, or or something else resist the temptation to like to own that thing like yeah. the thing There's itself wanting to own it yeah but but then be critical so like what are you really nostalgic for are you nostalgic for that for that thing the object or are you nostalgic for for what that object produced you know for like the thing that 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 surrounds that object which is which is like the you know sort of the feeling of the moment or like the the sort of the limitless possibility or the the uh the interesting kind of novelty or whatever whatever it is that the feeling is trying to produce yeah, like that's that's where you're trying to really recreate that's the that's the that's the critical part where you're like uh, you kind of you you look at that object and because ultimately you know when you when you get that object a lot of times it's just very disappointing right it's like it's this it's this thing and um, but then if we try to uh, like inhabit that moment or recreate the moment it's different than like owning the object you know what I mean does that make sense. <laughs> It's interesting. You know, that's you know, and do you have, you've read Bruno Schultz, right? I have not. I just read about Bruno Schultz in one of your comic books. <laughs> but Bruno Schultz, you know, is another kind of like he, you know, he's sort of compared to to like the the Polish uh, he's like the Polish Kafka or whatever. Partly because some of his stories are very kind of have a sort of fantastical element to him in the same way that Kafka has a certain fantastical element, and Kafka is you know sort of the you know the great writer the kind of great writer modern writer that sort of in a weird way is like the writer of, of bureaucracy <laughs> mm -hmm. just like the crazy like uh, you know like the the dehumanizing the dehumanizing power of bureaucracy of bureaucratic things so schultz is a little bit you know is a little bit different um you know and i i always kind of see him as a kind of um uh, nostalgic writer in the sense that he, a lot of times he goes back to his childhood mm -hmm. and kind of remembers certain things um, and then like reimagines them as these new thing you know and, like remembers like not the object itself but like what this object produced mm -hmm. so like one of the things one of the books um, that he uh, he writes about this book like a book and you know when you read this thing you, you realize slowly that he's really talking about like a phone book <laughs> just a phone book or something or, or like an address book or something like that that has a lot of names and has a lot of entries but as a child he imagines this thing as like this portal into into all these different things so he so he as a writer is like it's recreates that that magical kind of memory of of what this book represented to him as a child and so he creates that book he creates the book that his child imagined even though you know he was just looking at, at like a phone book or something you know so he's using the book as a sort of uh, cipher or entrance way or yeah in, in a way i mean he's using his childhood as a to sort of to sort of like and create a new object from that object that the child that the child beheld you know because the child kind of created the whole the whole thing i mean you know a lot of times i, don't, I mean i don't know if, again maybe i'm just I don't know if everybody has these feelings, but like, you know, a lot of times I'll have, um, you know, if I listen to like, when I was a kid and I couldn't speak English, I would listen to an, an American song mm. and I couldn't understand the lyrics. So I would make up my own lyrics mm. and like, and I still have those lyrics in my head and they're very different from the real <laughs> lyrics. And that song that I created in my head, a lot of times is better than now that I understand the lyrics, you know, which are sometimes just kind of banal, yeah, you know, like um, love story kind of thing, you know, and I created this like crazy kind of almost surreal document in my head because I didn't understand the words and just kind of created this this new kind of narrative that is very surreal and, and, and makes no sense but it's it's it more interesting and better. Surreal Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> I don't think of myself as a particularly nostalgic person but I really felt transported for a moment there when I was talking about garbage pail <laughs> So how would I relate to Garbage Pail Kids, for example? I cannot, like, I cannot separate, like, how would I do this sort of exercise? Or this, this transformation? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is something that I think it's, it's not easy to do because it's so, you know, uh, sometimes we just have, you know, that object is so present in our minds, you know? So, so in a way you have to like, um, again, like, the, through the crit critical nostalgic method, uh, you have to sort of isolate yourself from the object. You know, you have to kind of step away from the object and start thinking about the feelings that the object is producing. You know, like 
so you know what's you know like if you had to invent a new garbage pail kid like what would it be you know like one that would actually produce that feeling in you now as an adult versus you know when it when you were a kid you know so I mean, obviously back then like something gross and you know snot and whatever yeah. like that would produce a certain kind of feeling but like what object today would produce that feeling in you i guess like maybe what if there was like a set of cards and each one had like a miniature story with pictures and words and like all the cards once they're together made up a whole story but each card was like a little story in itself and that would be a pretentious kind of art project that I would do if I was invited to some residency or something. <laughs> Are there any contemporary like comics or, 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 or artists that sort of evoke that feeling that something similar, some like, you know, kind of a feeling of like revulsion Johnny and Ryan. joy and Johnny um, Ryan, definitely. Johnny Ryan. Yeah. His yeah. Yeah. Are very, I mean, when I see them, they give me that, feeling that garbage pail kids did yeah 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 like giving you the space to giving the id space to to be it's the id yeah. yeah i could see that i could see that i didn't have that experience with them but uh, i can i can definitely see that as a you know okay so i'm stuck in nostalgia <laughs> being someone who like i don't feel nostalgic about my childhood at all <laughs> <laughs> and i guess the things i feel nostalgic about seem like things that were in a way an escape from my childhood or something. The Those garbage pail kid folders were ultimately unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like a dream of escape. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think a lot of times, a lot of times we're not necessarily nostalgic for like, we're not nostalgic for like the childhood, you know, but we're nostalgic for some specific moments in the childhood, you know, like, you know, if you have like parents who are divorced, like you're maybe nostalgic for the moment before they were divorced, you know, like, so there was like a very specific moment where you, you remember like your family being together or something like that. Or, or, you know, like you said, like there was like moments of where you, where you felt like you, like the world opened up for you in a way that, that it hadn't before, you know? Uh, so I think, you know, when we're feeling nostalgic that, you know, it's these very specific there's these moments, there's specific either objects or moments that kind of did something for us in that moment. And we want to re, uh, relive those moments again, or not necessarily relive them, but like experience them again, like in, in our contemporary lives, you know? So according to uh, your theory about Salvador Dali, there's like some Cartesian crutches <laughs> that you make your way through the sludge of magical thinking. <laughs> exactly exactly uh you know it's like the 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 brain is a, that cartesian crutch you know like the brain filters it out the, the brain is the uh you know i mean I, I one one of the sort of you know this was his like he did this kind of in his period where he was doing all those kind of paranoid paintings which are you know it's like it's a painting of one thing but if you kind of look at it it's slightly differently like all of a sudden you see an outline of a person or whatever like it, those, those pictures where you kind of like there's two objects really in them you know um you know maybe it looks like just like a forest scene but like when you look between the trees there's like the portrait of a man or something like that because like the way everything is shaped you know and um so that's you know so it's it's kind of like seeing things is from that's the the paranoid part is kind of like like is is pulling a pattern out out of out of chaos you know like it's creating it's creating a new image out of out of other images um you know which is you know which is sort of classic it's really like how we think like you know we're we're kind of pattern recognition uh-huh. animals you know like we uh uh you know when when we look at you know a bunch of a bunch of information we create patterns so i think you know in, in a way nostalgia kind of does that for 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 memories right like it creates a certain meaningful moments for us that that we return to for one reason or another you know maybe we're unhappy in our present so we look into our past to to sort of find something or we just stumble on it just like randomly i mean i i went you know when we we i me and nikki went to poland like a, a couple of years ago and our our train got stuck in Wrocławek, which is the town that i grew up in for like three or four hours we were just stuck there on the train station so 
I was like, well, we should just go walk around because they're not going to leave for another four hours. And this town is really close to the train station. And I had not seen this town, you know, in you know, a long time. But like, as soon as I started walking around, like memories flooded back. It was like, you know, just like, like, oh, I hadn't seen this square before. And I, you know, when I, and I, if I ever tried to imagine it before, it didn't look like the real thing. I just had this very different memory of it. Um, but all these memories from that time flooded back, you know, like, you know, so, so, you know, it can happen, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it can either happen because you want it to happen, or it can happen because you just happen to be at the right spot at the right time. And then all these memories flood back. But your memories, it sounds like they were, they had become a little fictionalized or something. Like you looked at the town and you're like, that's not how I remember it. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, part of it was like there were some new buildings for sure, you know, but but part of it was just like, like, I just remembered the layout very differently. And I maybe because I was very small, and I just everything looked much bigger, you know, uh, maybe it's, you know, because I approached that part from a different angle always than the one that I approached it from. So like, there's all, all kinds of reasons for this. But, um, uh, but it was, yeah, it was just kind of a really interesting you know, I just, it just kept wanting to walk around. Like I only had four hours, you know, but we just like kept going. I was like, Oh, there's, I know there's this other thing there. Let's go there. I want to see it. And I just, I kept wanting to go into my memories by like walking through this town, you know, but we didn't have time to go everywhere. Do we have a, do we have a call, you know, end of the podcast call out? Are we, are we, no, (laughs) (laughs) we don't. (laughs) We should, we should have a little bit that goes like, uh, what do we say at the end? And then you go, and then you go like, wait, we say something at the end? And then I go, yeah, we always say something at the end. And then you go, but what do we say? And then it's over. <laughs> okay, so I think, okay, our themes seem to be nostalgia um, and like the Happiness. ineffable potential and beauty of, and alchemy of comics. Yeah, we'll have to think of a closing statement. Could dub it in later too. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Wouldn't wanna be ya.